Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Our reading is, uh, can be found on page 1038 in the Church Bibles. So we're going to be reading Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 17. So page 1038. Luke 9, starting at verse 1. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal those who were ill. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt, Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida, But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ian. Hi, everyone. Great to be with you again today. Uh, my name is Matthew. It's been a pleasure to see a few new folk uh, here as well. It's good to, good to have you with us. Um, let me pray, asking for God's help as we consider this word. Our Father in heaven, please help us as we read the Bible. Sometimes it's hard for us to know what, what it's all about. Please, by your Spirit, give us understanding in our hearts, an understanding that leads to appreciation of Jesus and joy to be his followers. We ask this today in his name. Amen. Amen. 
Have you ever been asked to do something and thought, I could not be more delighted to do that? When I did uh, my theological study, I was down at uh, a college in London, and all the students had responsibilities given to them. Some of them might be working in the library, some of them might be doing garden maintenance. Well, I got put in charge of the tuck shop. <laughs> I just thought, this is, this is brilliant. This is the best job on campus. I could not be more delighted to do it. Some of our trainees here at church um, get asked occasionally to dog sit for people. And uh, you, you know, you're off on holiday somewhere, and you say, can you look after our dog? Can you come and stay in our house? And these guys are thinking, wow, I get to stay in a house in Fullwood for a week, get a dog for company. They're basically competing to, uh, to, to do that job. You might have it yourself. Maybe you're at work, and, uh, and there's this project coming up, and you think, I'd love to be involved with that. And your, your boss sort of sidles up to you one time and says, hey, you know, I yeah, I think you might be really good at that. And you're trying to play it cool, you're trying to be relaxed, but you're thinking, that's exactly what I want to do. I could not be more delighted. Well, friends, I think we find ourselves in a similar place in, as Christians. We're following Jesus, and he asks something of us. And when we consider what it is, we should reply, I could not be more delighted. To do so. In the gospel, the disciples have been following Jesus for a while. They were called in chapters 5 and 6. In chapters 7 and 8, they just watched with wonder all the things that Jesus was doing. And now in chapter 9, they get told to do something. They've got to join in with Jesus. And I think they must have been buzzing at the prospect of this. Just to say, chapter 9 is a bit of a turning point in Luke's gospel. Here we see the climax of this theme about who Jesus is. The disciples get it. We'll see that next week. But also in this chapter, we start to see a theme of what it means to follow him. So today we'll see two things about what following Jesus involves, and hopefully we'll appreciate how special what's on offer is. So firstly, following Jesus means joining in his mission. Following Jesus means joining in his mission. This is verses 1 to 6. Verse 1. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal those who were ill. Kids love joining in with their parents, don't they? Joining in the baking, joining in the DIY, or those go-to-work-with-your-parents days. It's exciting to be a part of what they're doing. It's the same with work experience or students going out on placements, isn't it? Though a guy I know, um, he, uh, he was going in for a minor operation, and, uh, and beforehand the surgeon came to him and said, do you mind if some of my students sort of come in and they come and watch and he said, well, I know it's good for them, fine, yeah, they can come in and watch. And, uh, and then, the, you know, all's ready, he's on the table, the surgeon comes in, there's this gaggle of students uh, behind him, and, uh, and he so he gets the scalpel out, and he sort of makes the, you know, the first incision. Then he turns to his students and says, right, now who wants to go next? <laughs> yeah, it was terrifying for him, but a special experience for the students. 
Well, look, the 12 disciples here are being sent out to do the very same work that Jesus has been doing. They're joining in. Jesus was proclaiming the kingdom of God. We saw that in 8 verse 1. That meant teaching about salvation. And Jesus was healing and casting out demons. And he was doing those to show who he was and that he was the king. And this is the sort of thing that happens in the kingdom. And now they're being sent out to do the very same things. And you think, what a privilege. What an honor. What a joy to join in Jesus' kingdom work. It's even more amazing when you consider how Jesus equips them for this work. We've seen the power and authority that Jesus has. And then he says, I share it with you. It's like being given his access pass or his credit card. They get to be Jesus in a way. They can literally heal people. They have that power. And they can literally cast out demons. They have that authority. Having watched in amazement, they can now do it too. And you can imagine some might use this power for sort of selfish ambition and gain, but the 12, they're just so delighted to be joining in the work of Jesus that they use it as he instructs them to. Even verses 3 to 5, I think, are quite exciting. You know, maybe this stuff about taking no provisions... Maybe that sounds a little scary. It's going to be harder without these things, having to rely on the generosity of others. But Jesus is actually saying, you'll be okay without supplies. Jesus will sovereignly, even miraculously, meet all of their needs. Where's my next meal coming from? It will always be there. Imagine being sent out on that sort of mission. Maybe a little scary, but ultimately wonderful. Even verse 5, yes, there'll be some rejection. You'll leave places, shake off the dust off your feet at them, but don't worry about anything. Shouldn't they know by now that Jesus has got them completely in his hands? However bad it gets, remember the storm Remember the demon-possessed man? Remember the, uh, the, the sick woman, the dead girl? He catches it all. These first followers of Jesus are joining in his mission. And that's an amazing thing. An important uh, first lesson from this is about how to view the apostles That's what they're called in verse 10. They're now the people sent by Jesus. That's what apostles literally mean, sent people. So for the first readers of Luke's gospel, it was really important for them to know that the apostles did have the authority of Jesus. They had become Christians based on on their testimony. And so this gives them assurance that it was right to believe what they said. And they should go on listening to their teaching. And so it's just as important for us. The Bible is the written testimony of the apostles. And it was right for us to believe what they said. 
And so we must keep on listening to them, even if what they say clashes with our culture. The second lesson, though, is that we also are followers of Jesus. As we continue the mission of Jesus, all Christians are invited to join in this work, telling the world the message, telling them about Jesus, encouraging people to believe and be saved. It's a little different for us. We don't have that direct power and authority from Jesus. Our message must be based on the Bible's message. And we don't expect to do miraculous kingdom signs anymore, but we do many acts of love and kindness which play a part of the work. So I wonder then, how do you feel about being a part of the mission of Jesus? How do you feel about joining in Maybe, I know I'm meant to, but I'm a bit reluctant. I'm a bit scared. Is evangelism even appropriate anymore? But friends, it's not that this is something that we've got to do. This is something that we get to do. That idea is right at the heart of the Christian life, actually. It's not that I've got to be pure, I get to be pure. It's not that I've got to go to church, I get to go to church. And here, not that I've got to join in the work of Jesus, I get to join in the work of Jesus. We'll be telling people about him, we'll be doing good things alongside, we'll be seeing people responding, we'll be provided with all that we need, and it's a wonderful thing for me. As with many of you, I'm sure, uh, sometimes it feels like a bit of a slog. You know, tricky pastoral situations. Or people being disappointed with you, or even angry at you. Or all this Church of England trouble that's going on. Or for me, you know, just the emails and the admin, I can't stand it. But then I get these wonderful moments like with my small group, or on Christianity Explored, or ministering to someone who's at death's door, and being involved as people are believing in Jesus and living by faith. It's a joy. It's all worth it, joining in the mission of Jesus. For our second point, we'll jump on now to verses 10 to 17. We'll come back to those middle verses uh, in our conclusion. But from verse 10, we're going to see that following Jesus means complete provision from him. Following Jesus means complete provision from him. We've touched on Jesus providing for them already, but here we see the abundance of it. The disciples, they come back, they report on all that's happened. It's gone great. Uh, and now Jesus wants to gather them in and have a bit of recovery time with them. They're going to go somewhere quiet. But the crowds follow. And, and they say, oh. But Jesus isn't angry. He carries on ministering to them. He's doing his mission. He's again speaking about the kingdom and healing those in need. 
But that afternoon, the disciples show that they've still got plenty to learn. Verse 12, late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. Surrounding villages, food, lodging, does it ring any bells? Do you see the similarity with the instructions they were just given in verses 3 to 5? Again, this is all about how we'll be provided for. Jesus replied, you give them something to eat. He's testing them. What have they learnt? They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. To them, there are two options. Use what they have, which is clearly not enough, or go and buy stuff, but that's pretty impractical too. Is there no third option? Maybe ask Jesus. But he said to the disciples, make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Wow. What a remarkable new type of miracle. Manipulating creation so that there is just so much more of it. Giving everyone a feast. Not really alleviating suffering. That's normally what the miracles are doing, aren't they? This is just being marvelously, abundantly generous. And he's using his disciples to make it happen. That's different and amazing. But I don't think the crowd here would necessarily have known what was going on. They were just being fed by the twelve. But the disciples, they certainly would have known. This is for their sake. This is Jesus teaching his own followers. And at the end, there are how many baskets left over? Twelve. Maybe one each for them to take away and ponder the lesson from this. Jesus can abundantly and miraculously provide all that is required. It's this lavish outpouring, and it should stir up joy in them that he will provide for them always. And with that, a matching dependence on him for all their future needs. Following Christianity means complete provision from Jesus. That's at the very heart of Christianity as well, isn't it? We start as Christians by coming to Jesus in our need. He gives us salvation, forgiveness, a friendship with him, a status as a child of God. It's more than we could possibly deserve. And then we go on needing his help each day. Help just to live it out. Help when it's hard. 
Help when we're anxious about things. And he provides. He sees us through. He, he gives us what we need, when we need it, and far more still. And particularly, he gives us help to do his mission. To tell people about Jesus. It's not easy, but he helps us. Students, you were off on mission, weren't you, during that events week? And you were praying lots. Didn't he answer your prayers? Well, here at church, we're so fortunate that God provides. We had concerns about money, and more money has come in. We have a desire to grow in faith, and he's doing that in us. We long to see people coming to faith, and wonderfully, we get to witness that happening here at church. We don't have the power. We don't have a strategy or a technique, but Jesus does. Because it's all his mission. And so in practice, that means that we pray. We pray lots in joyful expectation that Jesus will provide completely for us. And then, when he does, we receive with joy. We're going to share a communion meal in a moment as well. And and isn't that a moment of receiving from Jesus? receiving the meal that he offers us when we come to it. Let's eat in complete dependence and joy. Now as we conclude, I do want to look briefly at verses 7 to 9 and leave us with the question, what is our opinion of Jesus? Now Herod, the tetrarch, heard about all that was going on and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. These verses clearly come as a bit of an aside within that story, don't they? Uh, I think they're doing a few things. Uh, It tells us what's happened to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the main character in chapter 3 and an important character in chapter 7, but we're not going to see him again. That's because he's been killed. It's also a reminder, therefore, that being a follower of Jesus can get us into dangerous places, as it did for other disciples and for Christians throughout history. But here in the flow of Luke's gospel, I think this is primarily keeping the question running about who Jesus is. It's been the theme of the first half of Luke. Remember his disciples after the calming of the storm? Do you remember what they said? Who is this? And this theme, it reaches a climax in the passage next week. Finally, Peter will get it. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. So then here, as we start to think about following Jesus, we can't yet move on from the question of who he is. The disciples uh, have scattered. They've been preaching about Jesus. They've been doing all these miracles. And so people get talking about it. And in due course, even Herod gets talking about it. Just to say, this is not the Herod from the birth of Jesus, from that story. This is his son. And he wants to know what's going on in the land that he rules over. He's hearing all these different reports Generally, it was the idea that someone important has come back 
to life. That was a bit of a Jewish idea at the time, maybe one of the prophets. So, you know, it could be John, it could be Elijah, it could be someone else. And they didn't know. And, and Herod doesn't know either. But everyone's interested, everyone's talking from the ordinary people up to the king, but no one's getting it right. So what about us? What's our opinion of Jesus? May I speak to those here who are not Christians? Maybe some students coming along since the events week. Maybe people who've been coming to Christianity Explored. Maybe you've just been coming because you're drawn in. You're interested. You're wondering what these people are up to. What's, what's going on with this teaching? What's happening? And, and something's drawing you in. Well, what would be your answer? Maybe like Herod, you're really not sure. You're hearing different things. Some say he's a good teacher. Some say that he's a prophet. Some other religions do say that about Jesus, don't they? Some people are saying he's the son of God. That's what we've been saying here at church, isn't it? But at the same time, maybe you've got some friends saying that he doesn't even exist. What are you going to make of it? What's going to be your answer? If that's you, if you're wondering, if you're not sure, if you're caught up trying to decide for yourself, my prayer for you is that God might open your eyes. Maybe you might go away from here and, uh, and you might go and you get back home, perhaps pick up one of the Bibles and just read the gospel for yourselves. Mark's the shortest gospel, it's the easiest one, but maybe you want to pick up Luke as well. Just about to start reading. Maybe why don't you pray that prayer for yourself? God, if you're there, show me who Jesus is. And then start reading and see if he answers your prayer. Well, let's pray now. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for sending Jesus. Thank you that he is your son. He's the Christ, the Messiah. We've come to believe in him and follow him. And now he invites us to join in his work. Thank you so much for showing that here today. And, and please, might we have faith to join in and to expect your provision to go alongside it. Please, Lord, do provide for us. And for any here who are not sure, Please, Lord, open their eyes that they might see Jesus and know who he is and believe for themselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.